live from the Momo Pizzeria and Ristorante Studios at 44th and O. Morning radio for the entire capital city. This is LNK Today with Jack and Friends on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. All right, greetings. Welcome in Tuesday morning, October 17th, 2023. 36 degrees in the capital city. Glad to have you with us. I'm Jack Mitchell along with Caleb Henry behind the board in the KLIN studio. Mark Vale in the KLIN newsroom. Chris Lofgren along shortly with Time Saver Traffic. Got a good show for you today on a Tuesday. Guests include Joe Jordan from News Channel Nebraska. Uh, We're going to talk to the folks from the Leeds Center during the 8 o'clock hour. And we are uh, having a volleyball guest again today. A a sub for John Baylor today. We're going to have Jeff Sheldon joining us from the Volleyball State Podcast to talk about Nebraska-Wisconsin. Coming up on Saturday, Jeff, Jeff's a longtime friend of mine, a former co-worker and a former beat writer for the Nebraska Volleyball program as well, and now turned into a successful podcaster right here at Podcast House Media, which you should check out if you have not yet checked out. So that's what's on on tap for today. I want to uh, go right to Mark because uh, I know we've uh, had kind of a breaking breaking news situation here during the early hours of the morning. Mark, uh, what can you share with us about this? Well, evidently it started right after midnight. It happened at the Aero Bus uh, Aero Express Depot up there on Superior Street, you know, just uh, west of where Havelock turns into Superior. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that's where the Aero Depot is. Uh, Lincoln police called about 12.15, and then uh, uh, another call went out uh, shortly thereafter. Uh, evidently, uh, a man on a bus uh, got into some type of an altercation with an officer, uh, stabbed the officer. I, social media, uh, I believe the officer was stabbed in the neck. Um, uh, another officer on board the bus then shot the suspect, and uh, both are hospitalized. Wow. Non-life-threatening injuries, but uh, quite a... Uh, Quite an event there on board a bus. My so, good, what what led up to this whole thing? Well, that's, you know? we're expecting to hear more. Uh, Lincoln Police uh, Public Information Officer Eric Thomas put out a news release about 3 this morning, uh, and they've called for a 9 a.m. news conference. Uh, but what I've told you is basically all that we know uh, officially, and, we, uh, and I would imagine duty command is either still on site or still processing this, they weren't available for uh, uh, any updates. Okay, so we just know that there, there was a call. They The officer ended up on the bus at that point. That's where this all happened, uh, and that was where the, the stabbing and then the uh, officer-involved shooting happened at that point. Yes. So that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. Okay. All right. Well, we will uh, uh, look forward to more. Glad to hear there are no, sounds like no life-threatening injuries along the officer, going along with this. The officer that discharged their weapon was not injured, according to the news release. So, Oh, not injured. Okay. Even, okay, I thought. The, the, the first officer was stabbed. The first, the first, there were two officers involved. The other, Got the, it. a second Got officer it. discharged Understood his now. weapon and uh, Understood. Was, was not injured. So. Okay. Yeah, I was confused on that, too. All right. So that's good. a good clarification. There, there we go. So, yes, so that was happening over the uh, the last several hours and. As Mark said, we'll um, maybe have more, maybe have more during the show, but most likely not until nine o'clock when the uh, Lincoln Police Department briefs everyone on the latest on that. This would be, by the way, uh, the second officer-involved shooting for Lincoln this year. In May, there was uh, a man who died from injuries after being shot by officers. The authorities there said the man who died had pointed a gun at police before he was shot. 
So was that the one out on West O? That I was on. I'm looking up where I couldn't remember where it was, so I actually had to look at where this was. Um, they were at the. Oh, it was at the Super Eight. Remember that they were. Oh, yeah. They were surveilling a uh, hotel yep. room at the, on West o, at yeah. the Super Eight. Yeah, and they that was a, a situation where the guy pulled out a nine millimeter pistol, pointed it at the officers, and um, and and he f- fired it. And then the uh, one state trooper, one LPD officer, returned fire at that point. So, and uh, Acting Chief Morrow is the scheduled luncheon speaker today at the uh, monthly Liba luncheon. Oh, uh-huh. so okay, oh. we'll uh, and and that'll be streamed on Facebook. So. Okay. We'll see whether uh, there's. Boy, she has been she has been getting out, hasn't she? Yes, she has. Everywhere. I mean, cre- credit to her. It's it, boy. It's just man. After what a, what a few months it's been with the yeah. with the leadership and the changes with Lincoln Police Department. Yeah, and and the the word that I'm hearing now most often is why is she still acting chief? <laughs> and, you know that that's the question. Yeah, that and that was you know we asked the mayor right away after it happened and. That was kind of the just there was no, you know, there yep. wasn't any real set in stone plan going forward with this whole thing. So it seems like she's, you know, yeah, she, the mayor did say there's or her, one of her staff people said there's no national search plan. Right. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's so that's what I wonder, too. I'm, I'm sure somebody will ask that question uh, this afternoon from from the uh, I mean, you were you were outspoken about some of the, the access to information. How much has that changed over the last couple of months? Uh, it's gotten better. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually attended a, a briefing uh, while Tom was on vacation a couple of days and uh, acting chief Morrow uh, showed up one day and was talking about uh, what type of uh, information the media was was needing in the future? Um, explained that you know the daily briefings may or may not not come back. They're now Monday, Wednesday, Friday, right? Or like today, if there are special uh, occasions, right? On a Tuesday, uh, on a Tuesday, she explained that Tuesdays is their command staff ma- uh, meeting, and she really needs those information people and duty commanders. Uh, in that command staff meeting. So that's okay. why Tuesdays are tough for them. But uh, she was very open to suggestions. We had several for, and uh, we'll see where, where they go. Good. All right. Well, she's been. And, and much, much more uh, conversational than than uh, the previous iteration. Y- yes. yes. Thank you for getting me out of that. I <laughs> almost said something I probably shouldn't have said. Okay. Well, uh, appreciate your coverage on that. I know you were right getting right into it early when you got here this morning, Mark. So uh, appreciate the latest on that. We'll continue to follow that here. If we get anything during the show, we will update, but it may not be until after nine o'clock till we've, till we've got that. Um, little bit of, uh, little bit of road news. Department of Transportation announced yesterday 84th Street south of Saltillo Road scheduled to open in early November. So a few more weeks here. And that means a big step in having that South Beltway situation and everything, including it and adjacent to it, fully operational at that point because the 82nd Street inter- interchange will be fully operational there. Right now, you can get in, enter the exit, enter and exit the Beltway from the south, but you can't do it from the north. When 84th goes open, you will be able to do that at this point. So uh, it'll be a fully operational entry exit point, both sides on the beltway. Now, I'm going to be honest, Mark, I've never been up that far on it still because I'm always getting on and off on 
on 70th Street usually, or I'm going 84th it's, just to Saltillo, and then it's a long ways there. from the uh, east end of uh, the Beltway, if you will, down mm-hmm. there about about 120th mm-hmm. uh, over to Homestead Parkway. It's a long ways, yeah. And mm-hmm. only and the only one that was open was that what 70th, 64th, 68th, right, right. Where, sta- where Standing Bear is, uh, right, yeah, that 70th. there, yes, mm-hmm. so 70th. And, uh, it's 70th at Saltillo, and I think 68th technically at the Beltway. And then, if you keep going to the to the west, west. from there, what's the next place you can get off? Well, after that, right now it's all the way to um, 77. Oh wow! You can't get so the the Jamaica exit there by 27th Street is not open yet. This is why Caleb pulled a U-turn on it. And, I don't remember uh, which way he was headed, though. He was going. He was going to the east and turned back west. Correct. Not I, to put words in your criminal activity, you should probably describe it yourself. Well, I was going to let you guys handle the conversation because I didn't want to bring up finally, so I wouldn't have to make illegal U-turns. <laughs> but yes, I I missed the exit heading south to seventy-seven because I stayed left, like you know everyone does to stay on the road you want to stay on without the signage at the time. Uh, which, by the way, went to Beatrice this last week, made sure, stay as far into the right lane. You know what? Hug the shoulder if you have to. Uh, but yes, I got a legal U-turn yes. like this last New Year's so, Eve. Yes. That hopefully won't be an issue, and there are more interchanges along the way. And now we've got <laughs> one more. Thank, although, you, thank you for doing that for me. Although this one probably wouldn't have helped you in that situation, because this is way up east on 84th Street, but... <laughs> Nonetheless, I've only, I've still only driven on the Beltway, guys, once I think, and that was just to to sort of try it. I was really I was just curious uh, in the first few months that it was open, so I drove on it. But I, I've driven over top of it several times. Yeah, you 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 going into Hickman. I've just I'm never been on it. I'm surprised you haven't jumped on it going down to your palatial vacation home in Beatrice. That's true. I usually yeah. That's, or do you go to Hickman and then cut across? You know. I don't. I've got a driver, so I don't really pay attention. I usually just take a nap. Um, so maybe I have been on it, but no. I yeah. I, I it it is interesting to see how how it's used in practice. Who's using it? Why they're using it? Obviously, the thoroughfare trucks going through and and, and you know people who are driving through the area are using it. But how Lincolnites are, how and if Lincolnites are using it. Uh, well, I know how some non-Lincolnites are using it. A, a former colleague of mine that took over some of my duties when I was uh, living in Kansas City, but commuting quite often to North Platte, Lyons, and Shadron, mm-hmm. said uh, he hasn't stopped in Lincoln uh, since the Beltway opened, and he said, best thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> Has it, hasn't stopped in Lincoln, meaning... Uh, well, every now and then he'd, he'd let me know, and we'd, we'd meet for coffee, but he said, since that opened... Don't, don't yeah sorry no, no stop you see where you rank you were only doing it because he had to get on highway two and stop constantly yeah. so so now yeah. all now now it's time for the gas stations now it's time for the uh, oh, they got to get some city services out there before you gotta get, get the development going yeah get those I mean those things are gonna, the first ones that go up they're gonna make some dough aren't they the first exits off that thing with nothing well, really I, being there well. You know, you've got the one there across from the casino, so uh, you got. That's the, true. The, that's still over there. The, if you the get big, down there, big new U stop up there. So that's and, true. And speaking of roads, yes, ten uh, eleven posted a story from CNBC. It's number two on the morning drive. Okay, preview. Uh, 
Uh, yeah. You want to give, give us a little preview of this? Lincoln is number two in the country for roundabouts. So you're mad that they're not number one. Okay, I see. Carmel, Indiana, number one, and almost double the amount that we have. What? <laughs> yeah, what? We've got some ground to oh make up, gosh. guys. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So Lincoln's got 75, according Soon to the Soon to be CNBC. 76. Soon to be 76. Carmel has 100. Am I saying that right? Is it Carmel? Or is Carmel. It Carmel. Never been there. 100, 145. Gee, many Christmas. Nice little community north of Indianapolis. Oh boy, boy! I can't wait to have the full discussion on that. Uh, there, um, interesting. I see Ten Eleven did the story on it. Uh, they uh, said they they talked to uh, one of the engineers, the manager of traffic engineering at LTU. They said the roundabout at Fifty Sixth and Yankee Hill is the most successful project that they had had. Uh, 20 car wrecks on that road, eight of which resulted in injury. And uh, you and, and Robin were uh, responsible for getting stop signs well, we, there. So they had, what was it? They had a they had two-way stops there. East-West was a stop. East-West was a stop. And Robin and I were talking about how dangerous it was. They put four-way stops up there <laughs> after, I don't know if it was because of that, but some may say it was. Uh, <laughs> then they did that. Then, which it was safer, but then it was just super slow. Because yeah. guess what? Four-way stops, not super efficient. Go to Des Moines, Iowa. You can find out for yourself. <laughs> and, and rural areas in Iowa. And, and rural areas in Iowa. I'll tell oh you what, gosh. that's a really good way for Iowa to try to just keep people in Iowa. Yeah. Now, yeah, there's some ranking that CNBC has to do with most four-way stops, and the Des Moines Metro is going to win that thing going away. But, uh, but yeah, then they ended up getting that roundabout in there, and... Uh, I can see in that in that area it made again. I know it's it's annoying for people because they're they're fly, flying along down Yankee Hill and got to slow Yankee down Hill and go around that just, thing. But you get dizzy on that thing. I don't know how many there are from 40th to 91st. Well, we can look it up before we discuss this in the morning drive. I'll see if I can get a number for you on. We that. just get on and go. Wee. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to one guy, and the, the thing is, is that they're not all uh, constructed the same. Oh really? Yeah. There's some that have got a, a a much heftier curve on going one way than the other, so you can kind of speed through the, going east but not west. Man, you know we were we were talking yesterday with Tim Hrus about downtown Lincoln and the changes to downtown, and now you're talking about the South Beltway and all of these. I'm like, yeah, I'm never really over there. I'm never really driving down Yankee Hill all that much. I do you re- even I, live in Lincoln? Yeah, I'm realizing I go I do, go to and do the exact same things. Every single day in Lincoln, Nebraska, <laughs> I have I have about four drives I make, and that's all I do. And your big diet ever. Mountain Dew is back. And my big diet Mountain Dew is back. But yeah, it's it's the drive to to work and back, right? Uh, it's the drive to uh, take my daughter to her dance lesson or her viola lesson and back, and and the grocery store and the hardware the gro- store. The, yep, the gro- that's true. The grocery store. The hardware store and the gym where I'm working out now. That's pretty much it. And recently, and those to those are all pretty close. And recently to the mulch store, the mulch, which was yes, which was the hardware store. Yes, I I am not. I really need to get out. I need like a passport to you enjoy need, the city or you something. Need to be intentional and drive a different way to work. I've I, done that a few times. You know what? It's interesting you say that, Mark. It took me like 15 years. Well, I guess I've lived in the house I'm in now and worked here for 13 years. 
it took me probably nine or ten of those for me to finally settle on a single way to go to work. And I finally, I finally have done it because I'm, you know, I'm going from roughly 70th and Van Dorn to here where we are at 44th and O. Okay. So there are, there are a lot of ways you can skin a cat when you're doing that. You can go to normal down to 48th. You can drive to just a street, which is the way I do it for whatever reason. Go by Pius and do it that way. You can go all the way down to O, and then there are probably some ways in between that you end up doing you that. You got South. You got Sumner. You South. Right. You could Sumner. do. Okay. Nobody's taking Sumner to get there through that. Uh, it's Randolph. like going through a. Okay. No. Yes. Yeah, so I guess those ways technically you could use, but you could also just, dri- Randolph over just drive through Taylor Meadows, too. But why? I mean. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, why not take the North Shore or the West Shore of, uh, or the East Shore of Holmes Lake? You could. You know, kind of come around. Can you go through the actual park? Yeah. I don't know if it's even open. I don't know if you're supposed to do that. I just skip it all and use my jetpack. There you go. Living in the future. There you go. Uh, all right. Well, that's what we got going on today. A variety of stuff. And uh, we will keep you updated on all of it here. We've got sports coming up next, by, Matt. By, by the way, uh, yeah? I just saw um, corduroy pillows are making headlines. Corduroy pillows? Yeah. Headlines. <laughs> ah, that right. took me a second. I too. did. I was waiting for the punchline, and I forgot it. <laughs> All right, uh, Caleb's got Sportsnet. Uh, Sports next. Matt Rule spoke yesterday. He'll give us the latest on that on KLIN. From Jack Mitchell in the morning to Dan Parsons in the afternoon, and of course Huskers. Fourteen hundred and ninety-nine three KLIN is the voice of Lincoln. A look at news from both inside and outside of Lincoln and conversation on how that news affects us here. It's time for the Sound Off on LNK Today. But first, your fantasy Huskers keyword for a chance at a $100 prize pack from Valentino's at Alumni Hall. All right, get ready to text. Keyword for pick number three, October 17th, 2023 is... Quarterback. Quarterback. Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-B-A-C-K. Quarterback. Quarterback. Got it. Uh, Text that in and you will have a shot at getting the third pick overall in this week's Fantasy Husker Draft. We will be asking you if you get the pick. How many total points will be scored between Nebraska and Northwestern on Saturday? Guesses so far... Chris Nolatha says 41. Phil the Portly says 49. All right. Do we ever look at what the actual Vegas line on this is? What is the line on um, that? I don't have it up here right in front of me. I don't know how to get where to get that exactly right now. But uh, Oh, here it is. 42.5. 42.5. So what did you say the picks were once again? 41 and 49. Okay. All right. So, little guide if you trust Vegas, which sometimes is right, sometimes isn't. That's a little guide for you there. Yeah, depending on where you look, like DraftKings has got it at forty-four. Oh, okay. Um, this is from Caesars. ESPN apparently gets their odds from Caesars. Okay. So. Anyway, uh, text that in quarterback, and we'll pick one of you uh, to make the pick. If you don't get it, hey, we keep giving you chances. They keep coming at you every day. Six thirty-five. And 810, 10 times a week. Just make sure you're listening so you hear what the keyword is. Text it in. And eventually, I mean, 
Eventually, it feels like you should get one. I don't want to guarantee anything, but eventually, it feels like you probably will end up getting one. Maybe multiple picks over the course of this football season. All right. Hey, we got Joe Jordan coming up about a half hour from right now from News Channel Nebraska to talk Nebraska news and politics. He had quite, he had quite an exchange with a Senate hopeful where, where the Senate hopeful was asked a question about marijuana and answered it and changed his mind a few minutes later. So Joe will tell you about that experience because he was in the middle of it. So that's coming up at about 7.10. But first, it is time for our sound off today. So let us jump into that as I am uh, pulling up the very latest here. And uh, once again, as we have been doing for the last week or so, we are going to start today uh, in uh, Israel and Gaza, the latest that is going on in the in the war, in the effort with that. So we will begin there. We've got news on potential potential military activities dealing with not only Hamas and Gaza, but also Lebanon on the Lebanese border, at least, and with Iran as well. So let's get the latest. Iran speaking on this, and this is, again, this is kind of, this line we talked about at the very beginning, if this becomes a regional conflict that involves entities outside of just Hamas, if it involves Hezbollah, if it involves Iran, mm-hmm. uh, if it gets more, then that is potentially a more significant involvement by the United States, obviously is just overall a more uh, significant military operation and a more of a you know, more of a difficult situation for Israel, obviously, as well. So get the latest from uh, from Iran's potential involvement. Iran's supreme leader says no one will be able to stop resistance forces and Muslims around the world if Israel continues its war on Hamas. Ayatollah Ali Khamenei following up comments from Iran's foreign minister that Israel should expect preemptive action in the coming hours. By resistance forces, Khamenei means not only Hamas, but the Iran-backed Hezbollah in Lebanon and other groups in Syria and Iraq. Hezbollah has already exchanged fire with Israeli troops in recent days, the US warning Iran not to escalate the conflict. Jonathan Savage, Fox News. The United States brings a a second aircraft carrier into the region as well, continuing, uh, and I think primarily, to be a deterrent for for other entities getting involved at this point. It goes along with what the president said a few days ago about this as well. But... Nonetheless, as was indicated there, there have been at least some activity. There has been at least some activity on that border with Lebanon, and that continues up to the current moment. The Israeli military releasing a video showing them thwarting terrorists trying to enter the country from Lebanon. The IDF says the four militants were trying to plant a bomb, and they were all killed. And as Israel battles both the border with Gaza and Lebanon, President Biden will visit the country on Wednesday, looking to send a strong message that the U.S. stands with its top ally in the region. His scheduled visit comes amid fears the Israeli-Hamas war could expand into a larger regional conflict. Meantime, in an attempt to further de-escalate the situation, the president will also meet with the leaders of Jordan, Egypt, and the Palestinian Authority. All right, so a pretty significant trip tomorrow uh, for the president into that region. Meanwhile, back in Washington, D.C., the speaker drama continues. Maybe, maybe ending today, though, as we're going to figure out exactly how many votes Jim Jordan 
actually has on this. Allies of Ohio Republican Jim Jordan are increasingly confident he will secure the 217 votes needed to become Speaker of the House when lawmakers gather this afternoon. Jordan spent the weekend speaking with dozens of holdouts, many of whom now say they intend to vote for the Judiciary Committee chairman. That list includes Alabama Republican Mike Rogers, an ally of ousted Speaker Kevin McCarthy and the chairman of the House Armed Services Committee. Still, several House Republicans have indicated they intend to withhold support, at least on a first ballot. In Washington, Jared Halpern, Fox News. All right. Um, and among the people directly involved in this is going to be Don Bacon. Don Bacon tweets last night, of course, Congress member, House member, uh, representing Omaha and uh, some of those areas in the state, says uh, nine hours ago on Twitter, or X, I'm not budging. I'm a five-time commander and deployed to Middle East four times. I'll do what best, what is best for our country. Huh. Supposedly, I assume, he is referring to his desire not to support Jim Jordan. So the question is, A, is that going to continue to be true throughout if he's truly not budging on Jordan? And then number two, does he have three other people in the Republican caucus, who are of the same the same mind as him uh-huh. on this, it, it, it's it's kind of mixed messages right now because, as you heard there with that clip, there seems to be some level of confidence in the people who are counting the votes, saying, "Hey, I think he's going to end up having this." But again, it doesn't take much whatsoever to stop this from happening. I believe it's you. You can give up. You can have three votes. From Republicans go against him, and once you have that fourth, you would need votes from Democrats to overcome it at that point. And so we already know, at least according to his tweet, Don Bacon is going to be one of them. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be an interesting day because a congressman from Nebraska, a House member from Nebraska, is going to kind of be a little center stage in this whole thing Well, if, today. You, if you're any of those those few votes that that would be going against it, you're you're in the spotlight. Yeah. And I don't know if there will be, again, I don't know. He'll he'll be in the role, though. <laughs> it's going to be fascinating because he and if there are, if there, again, if there are three or more others, they're going to be in that role that we saw last winter where you had Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert and some others who remember the, the sitting in there, the conversations in between votes and got heated at one point and that's uh that's potentially the role he will be in except this time the roles are a little bit reversed mm-hmm. because Jim Jordan is the person that they're looking at getting in there instead of McCarthy where Bacon and other people who are for McCarthy were in the majority at that time so i don't know if they'll have a, uh, they may they may or may not have a speaker at the end of of the day today it sounds like people are sort of have have Guarded confidence that they're going to end up with enough votes today, but I don't know if I would buy into that or not. We will we'll just have to see with this whole thing. Interesting news. Uh, don't typically cover Ecuadorian elections, but this was an interesting one because uh, the new president who was elected in Ecuador is very young. In fact, the youngest that country has has ever seen. And sometimes, Caleb, we've talked about generations of uh, executive branch leaders in the United States and around the world. And 
the millennials got one in Ecuador. Congratulations. Look at us. Look at Generation Collaboration. You might lose that, but at least you got Ecuador. <laughs> he's the son of a banana tycoon, and he's the new leader of this nation in the western corner of South America. After the election, Daniel Noboa said thank you to all those people who have been part of a new, young, and probable political project with a purpose to give back a smile to the country. The National Electoral Council of Ecuador reports Noboa collected more than 52% of the votes. His main political rival, leftist candidate Luisa Gonzalez, picked up almost 48%, adding more than 10 million people cast ballots. She conceded offering deep congratulations, saying, We have never called for a city to be set on fire. We have never come out to shout fraud. CJ Papa, Fox News. At right. least we've got Ecuador. <laughs> yes, at least, at least we've got Ecuador. Um, this is this is interesting. So I found a list of the current, the current youngest serving heads of state at this point. Um, the youngest one right now is. Ibrahim Traore, he is the president of the Patriotic Movement for Safeguard and Restoration of Burkina Faso, also the, the interim president there. 34 years, 34 years he was when he took office. Um, so uh, now it's 35 years and 285 days. So this guy's right in that in that neighborhood as well. So you've got um, the, the captain, the uh, captain region of San Marino, 36 years. Uh, the president of Montenegro, 36 years. The president of Chile, 37 years. Uh, Prime Minister of Saudi Arabia, 38 years. Interesting. Uh, Kim Jong-un's only 40. You know, Kim Jong-un is still still only 40. That's interesting. Uh, if he feels like he should be much older than 40. If if you got the, uh, the, the youngest of all time... Um, the king of Egypt in 1952, Fouad II, uh, he was, he's prob- this one probably won't be broken. He was 192 days old. He was, he was a poop in his pants baby. Uh, Pui, the uh, emperor, emperor of China in 1908, two years and 299 days. Uh, the king of Nepal in 1950 was three years old. The king of Iraq in 1939, Faisal II, three years old. Uh, the czar of Bulgaria in 1943, Simeon II, six years old. King of Bhutan in 1972, 16 years. Okay, these guys can do something. Uh, king Hussein of Jordan, 16 years old in 1952. This is interesting. Interesting. Oh, and by the way, the all-time oldest, you can also do this, too. The uh, all-time oldest in the uh, 1600s, Giovanni Paolo Lascaris, the, I don't even know what this even means, the Grand Master of the Knights Hospitaller, I don't even know what country that is, 97 years old. That's Malta. Okay, that's Malta. That was in the 1600s. Current oldest... Hey, now you talk about the uh, United States having uh, older uh, older people in office. Right now, the current oldest uh, president of Cameroon, Paul Bia, 90 years, 242 days. Okay. So, I mean, Biden and Trump look like spring chickens compared to that guy. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Other other items. I just thought that was kind of an interesting, interesting deal. Uh 
Oh boy, we're almost out of time. We get to okay. Let's 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 do this one. So Netflix, we were talking yesterday about how Netflix is going to raise their prices again, most likely. But look, they're looking for other income streams as well. Now that now they got people to quit sharing passwords, they're really aggressive here with finding new ways to make some money. And so, and this doesn't seem like it's going to work. I'll just tell you that my opinion right at the outset. But they are now going to open brick and mortar Netflix stores, and you're like, my first response is. Are we? Is this blockbuster? So blockbuster? Is this what? Well, not welcome a, back, family video. Uh, where everything old is new again. Uh, not, not quite. <laughs> Some people may have to get off the couch to binge a new Netflix offering. The streaming giant says it's planning on opening brick and mortar locations, but not for renting out movies. Instead, these Netflix houses, as the locations will be called, will be a fan experience. Letting visitors grab a bite. They can also buy merchandise and even play games, including an obstacle course based on Squid Game. Netflix CEO Ted Sarandos announcing during a Bloomberg conference that the first locations are expected to open in 2025. Billy and Wu, Fox News. Right, this sounds like one of those. This sounds like something where there's like three of them and like one in Times Square. Is where you've got this by the by the big M and M shop, right? That's what yeah. that's what that sounds like to me. That's a real novelty thing. Uh, let's see. Update on the Seinfeld reunion. We touched on this uh, a week or so ago. People getting excited because Jerry Seinfeld revealed that something might be in the works. Well, we'll see. <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld had teased that he and Larry David were working on something regarding Seinfeld while performing his comedy act in Boston. Seinfeld was answering questions from fans when one asked if he liked how his show ended. Here's what I'll tell you, okay? But you can't tell anybody. Something is going to happen that has to do with that ending. That clip shared by Boston Globe Media CEO Linda Pizzutti-Henry on Instagram. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who played Elaine, admitted to The Guardian, days after Jerry sparked rumors of a reunion, that she just saw the video and, quote, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. Monica DeLuca, Fox News. (laughs) That's great. Maybe we'd have those communication lines good, open. Good job, everybody. <laughs> oh, that's pretty funny. Uh, and then uh, we're going to end on this. Last but not least, well, they made it official. We heard a week or so ago, Caleb, they were going to add potentially some some new and old, bring back some sports to the Olympic Games that are going to be coming to Los Angeles in uh, 2028. Well, now it is official. Get those flags on for some flag football during the Olympics. Yeah, baby. And more. The International Olympic Committee has approved the addition of six sports, which will join the previously confirmed 28 sports for the Olympic Games in Los Angeles. Baseball, softball, cricket, and lacrosse will make their return. And two new sports, flag football and squash, will be debuting on the world stage for the first time in 2028. In a separate vote, the IOC also announced that the pentathlon and weightlifting will stay as Olympic sports. A decision to add boxing to the program is on hold due to the lack of a governing body recognized by the IOC. Tony Genualdo, Fox News. Has boxing always been in the Olympics? I thought so. Interesting. Did it go away? I'm surprised. I wonder why cricket had never been in 
Maybe so, it had so been it, in the past. It had. It's so popular. But very early on. Okay. Like it, it got, I think 1900 was the last I mean, time it was still I in. I know it's only a handful. It's not a ton of countries, but the countries where it is played, it is, it is wildly popular. So. Uh, bet the house on India to win that. Yep. Okay. I will. What about flag football? I feel, <laughs> okay. If the United States were to stack this thing. <laughs> yeah. I feel good about it. You get Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. Well, by the th- by the way, they'll be five years older by then. And it may oh, not okay, there will be, be other there will be other people no, we can stack it with. This, is this going to be one of these things like basketball, where all of a sudden Europe starts coming up and stealing stealing United States place of dominance put, in the sport? Put Heinrich Harburg out there. You, you he could, could you play for Team he, Germany? Maybe here's the thing you you could actually build a decent flag football team with just all former Nebraska quarterbacks. Oh, okay, that'd be interesting. put Luke McCaffrey. Logan Smothers out there, Adrian Martinez. It's going to be fascinating <laughs> if they. Uh, it's going to be fascinating to see who they get for that, and if they get any former or current NFL players to do it. I'm doubting it, but we'll see. And then baseball and softball coming back. That's pretty big. Yeah, it's good. Yes, I'm glad they're playing those two sports. And squash. I don't know much about squash. Hey, get the scouting at the local YMCA going. Yeah. All right, six fifty-six. That's it for the sound off. It's LNK Today with Jack and Friends on KLIN. When you're thinking Huskers. Intercepted at 15, and the Huskers have it inside the red zone. Think 1499.3 KLIN. You're listening to LNK Today with Jack and Friends on 1499.3 KLIN. All right, coming up, News Channel Nebraska's Joe Jordan, who... Had a unique moment with a candidate this week where candidate answers a question of Joe. Says, actually, you know what? Ask me that again. <laughs> give you a different answer this next time. Joe will tell us about that experience. We're going to count down the five things you're talking about today with the morning drive. That's at 735 a little bit later during the 8 o'clock hour. We'll hear from our friends at the Lead Center. Talking about the previewed shows that are coming up here. A lot of them. Very busy season. And uh, also have Jeff Sheldon from Volleyball State Podcast. That's all coming up. 7 o'clock. KLIN Lincoln. From the, live from the Momo Pizzeria and Ristorante Studios at 44th and O. Morning radio for the entire capital city. This is LNK Today with Jack and Friends. On the voice of Lincoln. 1499.3 KLIN. All right, greetings. Welcome in on LNK Today with Jack and Friends on KLIN, 37 degrees in the capital city. Glad to have you back with us on a Tuesday morning, October 17th, 2023. And uh, Tuesday morning means it's time to visit with Joe Jordan of News Channel Nebraska. Talk some Nebraska news and politics with with Joe. Good morning, Joe. How are you doing this morning? Uh, Real good, Jack. You? I am. uh, I'm good. I'm good. And it looks like today... Uh, a Nebraska congressman, Nebraska House member, might be kind of getting some national attention. At least that's that's my guess on this whole thing. Last night, Don Bacon, speaking about, I presume, the Speaker's race in the House, tweeted, I'm not budging. I'm a five-time commander and deployed to the Middle East four times. I'll do what is best for country. I guess he didn't say exactly what that meant, but I read it in the context of... 
his vote for Speaker of the House, that he would continue to say he was not going to uh, go along with Jim Jordan. I assume he'll cast a vote for Kevin McCarthy or something something like that at, um, at this point. I, I, I guess let's just start with this whole thing, Joe, because it sounds the, the reporting around this from the people who are counting votes seem to think it's close to maybe having enough, but but not completely there. First of all, why do you think... Why do you think Don Bacon is kind of planting his flag on the ground here on on this issue with with Jim Jordan? And, and are is it political reasons? Are there is it you know, or is it maybe just something something there where he really thinks, hey, this this for me is not a line I can cross. Why why do you think he has been the one to do this? And it's going to get harder throughout the day. Well, I think there may be a, maybe a couple of reasons. One is a bit speculative on my part. The other, I think, is pretty factual because Don Bacon has said it. In the last 48 hours, he has said that he has certain uh, he has some problems with um, uh, Jim Jordan being the next speaker, and his his definition of that problem is that Jordan, in his view, broke the rules uh, when they got rid of McCarthy. Uh, that and he says, you know, I when I play a game, I play by the rules, and Jim Jordan didn't play by the rules. They changed the rules, in effect, in the middle of the game to get rid of Kevin McCarthy. On the uh, on the more speculative side of me, looks back to the Don Bacon, who has said that he's, you know, going to be opposing. He would oppose Trump uh, in the primaries. We're still not really clear what happens if Trump were to win the nomination. Would Don Bacon vote for him? But, uh, but at the same time, you've got Jim Jordan, who has, you know, spent the last, you know, two years of going on three years uh, saying that the 2020 election was stolen, uh, that Trump won, and that view is not. You know, it's something I think that Bacon has been trying to to wrestle with, uh, and probably doesn't want someone at, at, at the speaker's slot with uh, with those views. Uh, now, in terms of where this goes, I mean, the, the, the speculation is is rapidly increasing that, that that Don Bacon and several other Republicans in the, in the conference will not vote for Jim Jordan on the first ballot, but maybe we get to ballot two, three, four, uh, and some of those votes that were against him, against Jordan, will be for Jordan and give him the 217 votes he needs. Now, at the same time, there's also, there's also been a variety of uh, Internet issues saying that Bacon is ready to vote uh, with a handful of other Republicans in favor of uh, Hakeem Jeffries, the Democrat, and make him the speaker. Wow. Now, <laughs> yeah, it, now Bacon said yesterday that there's a one in a zillion chance that he would ever do that. And then he said he'd never do it. So based on that, what he said, uh, he's not going to do that. Are there, are there other uh, Republicans out there who might, Uh, could that, you know, could they, could they vote for Hakeem Jeffries and, and, and sneak this thing, you know, sort of in the back door around Jim Jordan. I suppose that's possible. Uh, That would seem to me to be the longest long shot here. I, I think I, my my gut's telling me at some point in the end of this, Jim Jordan is going to be the Speaker of the House. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long it's going to take, I don't know. But um, it, it it seems there's a variety of moderate, well, I don't know if they're moderate Republicans, but Republicans who in the who were with McCarthy before have have, have turned uh, their turned their allegiance now to uh, to Jim Jordan. I mean, um, Mike Flood uh, has, has publicly said he's for Jim Jordan. Uh, Congressman Smith. Uh, is reportedly for Jim Jordan, and you know, last, last late last night, the 
uh, Nebraska Republican Party sent out a uh, an email basically praising uh, Congressman Flood and Smith for their support of, of Jim Jordan. Interestingly enough, in the uh, email, not a word about Don Bacon. Uh, and I, I say that interestingly enough because of, of those of those three people, who's the most vulnerable Republican on the ballot in 2024? It's Don Bacon. I mean, Mike Flood's going to have minimal opposition. Adrian Smith never, you know, the right. people he beats everybody 70 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're they're praising the guys that don't need the praise. And here's Don Bacon kind of hanging out there, and he's getting no support from from his own party in the state of Nebraska. Uh, you know, he's going to, you know, that race in 2024, you know, I don't know who's going to win it, but it's going to be a one and a half, two point or, or, or smaller finish, uh, against Democrat Tony Vargas. And, you know, uh, it, it seems like the Republicans are now to the point where if, if they want purity as, as opposed to possibly a win here in, in the second congressional district. I mean, there are, there are Republicans here in the second district that are furious with Don Bacon because he's not supporting Jim Jordan. And, um, uh, you know, I think his view of that is, hey, and he's never said this, but I, I can't believe he doesn't, he knows this, you know, uh, Don Bacon knows that Joe Biden won the second congressional district in 2020 over Donald Trump. Now, people that think that would be the election was stolen probably don't agree with that, but that is where we are. And they, they want, and Bacon knows that in order to, to win, he can't just be, full-blown conservative, you know, uh, Republican, he's got to, there's got to be some give and take here. I mean, he voted for the infrastructure bill and he still hears that from, from conservative Republicans, mm-hmm. uh, as, as he goes around. So, you know, Don Bacon is, is in a, in a, in a place where, where Republicans probably don't want to be, but if he wants to get reelected, uh, he, there's certain politics you just can't ignore. Well, that I, and, and that that's this is exactly what you're talking about. But I wonder, does this move specifically seem politically expedient in the second district? I mean, you know that district very well. Well, he, he, Bacon is, is is in a position where if, it, on this on this vote, I don't see how he wins. Uh, he's he's infuriating a lot of Republicans because he's not coming out for Jim Jordan. He's he's got Democrats saying, you know, you know, stand up and tell us who you're going to vote for. You know, uh, you're being wishy washy on this. Is it is it Jim Jordan? Is it not Jim Jordan? Uh, you know, uh, this whole thing about supporting you know Hakeem Jeffries, which again I think is is fantasy, but that's out there. So in the end, uh, it's it's one of those issues I think where Don Bacon sort pretty much can't win. Uh, he's got conservative Republicans who, who are going to be furious at him. Uh, and at this point, I think they're going to be mad at him even if he votes for Jim Jordan. If, if we get into ballot four or five or whatever, and he and he changes his vote, they're going to say that you know he, he was too late to the party. Uh, now, what are they going to? But the reality is, who are they going to replace him with? Are they going to primary Don Bacon? Yeah, uh, that's and, true. And, and, is that going? I don't see that happening. To be honest with you, I mean. You know, Donald Trump talked about that a couple of years ago, and they could never find anybody to run against Bacon. Um, you know, in, in the second congressional district, Don Bacon is a pretty tough guy to beat. I mean, he's a you know he's a retired you know general in the United States Army. Uh, he's 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 moderate to conservative. Democrats like to say that he's a MAGA Republican because he votes with Marjorie Taylor Greene ninety percent of the time, and that may be true. But he did vote for the infrastructure bill, and he, he's he's quick to tell that to to, uh, to Democrats in the second congressional district. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, there are cases where politicians can't win, and I think in this case, Don Bacon 
that's where we are. I am curious to see if he'll will he vote for Jim Jordan or won't he in the end. Um, his comments that I heard him make yesterday talking about how he believes that Jordan broke the rules and they tossed out McCarthy and he's he's very loyal to Kevin McCarthy. He I mean he'll. He will probably vote for Kevin McCarthy at some point. I, I, his first his first ballot vote might go to Kevin McCarthy. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I bet it will. But I mean, um, man, he said it last night. He put it out nine hours ago. I'm not budging. He yeah, can't I really. Know. I mean, can he? I don't know. I guess it's politics, so I guess you a, can. But was, and that was a step up from what he had said yesterday morning. Yesterday morning, it was like uh, I've got a lot of problems with Jim Jordan, but the I'm not budging thing. That's a that's another step forward. Uh, so. I you know I don't know how he I don't know how he breaks that uh, and and votes for uh, for Jordan, but uh, you know there's you know there's uh, two seventeen is is if, is tough to get. We only need five or six people to stand in your way. So yeah, they I, I mean if he's not budging and they've got three others that aren't budging, that would be enough. Yeah. Uh, I think they only need four. Uh, yeah, the of, question of, is how you know, how many votes? I mean you know we all know Kevin McCarthy took fifteen votes before he got. Before he got it at some point at some point is it like okay we've had enough we've got to move we've got to move forward we've, we've got to get a speaker we, we, we can't we can't hold this thing back any further uh you know is there is there some other deal that that, that they can turn right. to in the end so that he can say well they changed this so he's going to get my vote maybe it's something to do with another continuing resolution before we get to november 17th there's there's i've, I've seen some reports that that there's a deal in the works that would take an, another continuing resolution sometime into April, uh, uh, and then there's enough Republicans that are supporting Jordan that would that would go along with that. Uh, now, is that some is that something that would give uh, uh, Don Bacon an off ramp so that he could vote for Jim Jordan? I don't know, but if he is going to wind up voting for Jim Jordan after having you know kind of laid down this gauntlet here about I'm not budging, he's going to have to have some reason yeah. why he changed his vote. Yeah, that, I mean, if you look at the last time this happened, uh, what was it, January, February of of last year, when there, when it was McCarthy that was up, and there was a handful of House Republicans who were sticking, they were not budging. That they, they eventually, what eventually made them budge was that they had got so many concessions from McCarthy, just in terms of what the rules would be, so that if he went astray in their eyes, that they'd have the ability to have some control, and that's exactly what happened then. Um, with with Matt Gates ending up getting him removed as speaker, and so I don't know if that stuff is on the table with Jordan. I don't know if, like you said, if it's something about a continuing resolution. I'm not sure what it is, but it'll be interesting to see if there are negotiations in that way, or if it's just you know banging your head against the wall, vote after vote, and the same vote total here today. Well, just a week ago, there was a great deal of talk about from from Republicans who had, who had been for McCarthy. That it, you know, if we, whoever the new speaker is, we've got to change this rule that I just can't take one congressman, one member of the Republican conference to say, uh, I want a uh, up or down vote on, on on the speaker. They said that, that was highly discussed. You know, just a week ago, I haven't heard a peep out of anybody about that in a week. That that's the rule they want to get changed. Uh, now, is that going to resurface? I don't know. Mm. But if, but if that rule if that rule holds, uh, you know. Jim Jordan is vulnerable to to one you know Republican Congressperson getting up you know between now and whenever and saying hey I want to vote on this guy and let's see if he if he can hold it if he can hold the uh, the conference together yeah. so uh, you know it's easy to say 
that the GOP conference is in chaos. Uh, at this point, I'm not sure what chaos, how you define chaos, because it, it, things, you know, everybody's talking about, well, nothing's getting done. Well, nothing's getting done. Okay, Congress spends a lot of time doing nothing, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, every year they take seven weeks off in August and early September. Uh, you know, the country doesn't fall apart. Uh, I'm not, I'm not defending the fact that nothing is happening here with, but, but at some point we've got to, You've got to have a speaker and is it going to be someone who is a, you know, uh, a defender of, of, of Trump having, uh, you know, believing that he, that he actually won in 2020. Is that the guy we're going to put in the speaker's low speaker seat? It, it may well be. And, and then I think, you know, as, as, as partisan as some people thought McCarthy was, I think you're going to see the partisanship really ramp up between uh, Jim Jordan and the Democrats on Capitol Hill. It should be a fascinating day. Let's turn to some uh, some in-state, in-state-only politics here. Uh, well, for now, at least, it's going to be a run for the Senate. Uh, you've had you've had some of the leading coverage of this Dan Osborne candidacy um, up up against Deb Fisher. It's really the you know kind of the the main race we've been talking about here for a couple of weeks. Interesting exchange with him uh, that you had the other day when it comes to the issue of legalization of marijuana, either medically or recreationally. Uh, take us through the conversation you had with him about that. Well, on his, before I did the interview with him, I had noted on his noticed on his website that he was in favor of uh, legalizing medical marijuana. It wasn't totally clear to me how he felt about recreational marijuana. So I'm interviewing him about some of the issues. And I, I asked him, I said, so you're, I understand you're in favor of medical marijuana. And he said, yes. And I said, how about recreational marijuana? And he said, yes. And explained why that he thinks that, uh, that, that states can use that, in effect, use the tax dollars wisely. And, you know, it's kind of like, it's the, how the, sort of like the horse has left the barn on it anyways. Uh, so why not yeah. Reap the tax benefits, and so then, and I didn't think it was an unusual follow-up. My question was, "Well, have you ever used marijuana?" And he said, "No." So we talked a few more minutes about some other issues, and I said, "Hey, thanks for the interview." And he looks at me and he says, "Can you ask me that marijuana question again?" <laughs> Which immediately told me that he had used marijuana. So I said, to him, "Well," he goes, "No," and I said, "Okay, well, have you ever used marijuana?" And he said, uh, "Yes," and then he explained. And I said, well, often, and he said, just kind of like a handful of times, he didn't like the way it made him feel, so he stopped using it. But Jack, I've done, I've done interviews with, with plenty of people over the years, and sometimes they'll, they'll say something, and, and the interview will end, and they might call me like in an hour or two, or a couple days goes by, and I say, you know, hey, on this issue, can I want to clarify something, and blah, 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 and I... And I and I listen to that, and and what, and usually, if I've got somebody on camera tape saying A, and then they tell me B, I always tell them, I say, well, we, I can tell, I can report B, but I also have to report A that you said this, and now mm-hmm. you're saying this, and so I put the story together, and and you know, there's you know, um, Dan Osborne telling me that he didn't use marijuana, and then a moment later asking me to re-ask the question, and I did, and then he said he did use marijuana. And, you know, I don't want to say in his defense, but there's two ways to look at this. Either here's a guy who, you know, has never run for public office before. I mean, that's pretty clear. So I think some people are going to look at that as, you know, he's not a professional politician. He didn't give a standard answer and then just walk away from it. 
Uh, he wanted to be, he, he, in his own view, he wanted to be honest about it. Now, he wasn't the first moment when he was asked, but, you know, as he thought about it for the rest of the interview, all of a sudden he realized that he'd, he'd said something and he, that he wasn't the facts, but, and, and he wanted to change his, he wanted to get get on the record correctly. So on the one hand, you could look at it and say, hey, he's inexperienced as a politician, and, you know, hey, that's the, we don't want a professional politician in Washington. You know, that's, that's another reason to vote against Deb Fisher. She's a professional politician. This guy's not. On the other hand, uh, you can say, well, this is the beginning of a rough campaign. If, if right out of the gate he's making a mistake like that, what's to follow? There's so I'm not sure where we're going to be in the end, but uh, well, that's where we are. Yeah, I'm going to use that on my wife sometime. Hey, ask me that question again. I've got a different answer <laughs> at this point. Uh, Joe, great to talk to you. I appreciate it. Look forward to chatting again next week. Have a good one, all right? Take care, Jack. Thank you. Joe Jordan, News Channel, Nebraska, 726. Got to check your sports coming up next on KLIN. Breaking news, expert analysis, and the stories that matter most, all in one place. I totally acknowledge seeing flames uh, is a scary situation. 1499.3 KLIN. Traffic. It's time to count them down. The five things you'll be talking about today. This is the Morning Drive, presented by Stonebridge Insurance and Wealth Management on 1499.3 KLIN. All right, let's count this thing down, starting with number five. Lincoln Police have scheduled a 9 a.m. news conference on an officer-involved shooting overnight at the Arrow Bus Depot near 52nd in Superior. Uh, the report that we got from a about a 3 a.m. news release from the uh, uh, public information officer, Erica Thomas, said a male suspect on board a bus stabbed a Lincoln police officer and then another officer discharged their service weapon and hit the suspect. Both the officer and the suspect hospitalized with non-life-threatening injuries. That's about all we know at this point. Okay. Um, Yes, it called out there and ended up some, you know, for whatever reason, ended up on on the bus and that north 52nd and superior area mark is a um, lot, lot of storage units out there pretty industrial area it's just uh, north of cornhusker actually about a block block and a half okay yeah so yeah that's uh that's kind of the area that we're talking about and basically we are uh waiting to find out more but encouraging news that it sounds like that any of the injuries that were sustained here in this were not life life threatening either by the officer or the suspect in in this case. So. I was uh, checking some social media reports. Uh, one report, and we haven't been able to independently I, uh, I verify this. The officer was stabbed in the neck area, and the ar- um, suspect shot in the armpit. Okay. So. All right. Well, we'll uh, wait for more on that. 9 o'clock this morning, I should get significantly more information then from the Lincoln Police Department on that one. Number four. Uh, uh, Congressman Don Bacon said he's not uh, judging when they uh, maybe take a speaker vote today on uh, Jim Jordan. Yeah, he he tweeted last night, and this is what I just talked to to Joe Jordan, not to be confused with Jim Jordan about. No relation, I presume. Uh, Don Bacon tweeted last night, I'm not budging. I'm a five-time commander. And deployed to Middle East four times. I will do what is best for country, he says. He also said yesterday um, about his reasoning on sticking to his guns on this. He said it's wrong that his supporters broke the House conference rules multiple times to defeat McCarthy and Scalise. 
His supporters put us in this in this dysfunctional mess. I can't reward bad behavior. I follow the rules, as does 95% of the conference, and we've been walked over. So if he sticks to his uh sticks to his word on this, Mark, he could be really at the center of attention today with this whole thing, especially if he has got up to three more Republican Congress members who are in the same boat as him. Because then you're going to have one of these standoff situations, essentially. And can, if you've got those those people on the first vote, whether it be four, five, six, seven, whatever it is, can they be wooed over? Or are they just going to make a point with the first vote and then change their mind down the road? Is there going to be, as I talked to Joe with, negotiations when it comes to negotiations when it comes to or or, and and what will those be about because you remember the last time around with the mccarthy thing the negotiations were largely around what the rules would be for the speaker well yeah that's where they got the the one person could uh recall right which is why we're in why we're where we're at today after all of that but will there be more negotiations in terms of in terms of policy in terms of a continuing resolution in terms of those sorts of things, a spending bill. We'll see on this thing, but it'll be hard for, I mean, the way that Bacon has kind of stuck his flag on the ground on this, Mark, he's going to have a hard time ever, even when, even if the pressure starts to get in, get intense, if there's four people there saying, hey, we're not going to, yep. we're not going to do this. We're not budging no matter what. And this, you could have a stalemate situation here and with a lot of pressure, on getting a speaker in place so the House can get going with their business. And and his position on this could certainly be a factor in his re-election because he's got a strong opponent in uh, uh, Senator Tony Vargas. Yeah, that's the interesting thing is the political sort of impact on this thing because I don't know, I guess I honestly don't know if he's got a, a primary opponent or there may be somebody, but it's if there is, it's not someone who's garnered a lot of attention at this point like that's where the weakness from this would come right would be would be potentially from from the right but if he's if that's not going to be the issue if it's going to be about Vargas you know you would think maybe standing strong in this situation would actually help him yeah I don't know though I mean I don't know what, what voters in that district are well, thinking, depends so on how, we'll see. how long they stay dysfunctional yeah I mean yeah, we, we get, we've got several things coming I mean the Funding for the government runs out on the seventeenth of next yeah, month. Yeah, not to mention the, you know two major world wars going on here. Right, and and the, the factions uh, on both sides in the house. Some of the real right wing Republicans want to cut funding for Ukraine, while the Democrats uh, support that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the funding for Israel, which the Democrats are a little uh, cautious on, while the Republicans are strongly for what, it. So I don't. I mean, I honestly, I if I had to guess, I think they'll figure out somehow to get the votes for Jordan today. Uh, I don't know if they'll be there right away, or if it'll take a while, or if it'll be negotiated, or what it is. I don't know how Bacon will factor into that either. But let me ask you this though: if I'm wrong. And if they do get to basically a stalemate on these votes and you keep having four or more Republicans every round, every round, every round going against Jim Jordan, what's next in this whole thing after that? Well, they could give a few more powers to the uh, Speaker Pro Tem, the guy from what South Carolina. Right, which they've talked about doing. Talked about doing. Yeah. The other North thing Carolina, is, I think. North yeah. Carolina. Uh, the other thing that they could do is, you know, try to... Do a coalition and have a shared power agreement with the Democrats. Well, there was, there, I forget, there was a name, I think, I want to, I can't remember the name of the House member, but 
I saw floated out there that there was a Republican House member that they thought maybe some Democrats would vote for. Um, uh, but this, and again, I don't even remember the name, so I apologize for that. But maybe that's the next step. Is there Agreed. somebody that's even more moderate in the Republican caucus that would get some, some support of some Democrats, too? So, Or maybe Bacon himself will put his name in there. I don't know. You know, I don't know, but it could be an interesting day. There's one person who's had a very successful speaker uh, role already, and I would, wouldn't mind seeing him as the speaker. Who's that? Mike Flood. Mike Flood? Wow. He was pretty. Not much seniority there yet. No, so but he was a very be. successful speaker here in the legislature. Interesting. Uh, by the way, it does sound like Flood and Smith are going to be casting their votes for Jordan here. Yep. So, All right, moving on. Number three. Girl Lincoln's Robin Eshelman uh, put me onto this yesterday. A University of Nebraska undergrad has made history using AI. Pretty interesting story. Uh, Luke Ferreter, a 21 year old computer science major, was the first person to decipher a word from an ancient scroll. It was a papyrus scroll that they couldn't figure out what this word was. Uh, it was a program called the Vesuvius Challenge. So these are. Papyrus scrolls from the Roman Empire, evidently, and the Vesuvius Challenge, they call it that because they were fossilized in carbon because of the eruption of of Mount Vesuvius. And so, evidently, he develops a, a machine learning algorithm, detects letters on the scroll, deciphers uh, the word, the word was porphyrus, not papyrus, porphyrus. Which means purple. It was worth a forty thousand dollar prize. You got forty thousand bucks. Okay. Uh, it says, uh, yeah. The scrolls, by the way, extremely fragile and would turn to dust if mishandled. Uh, so he had so that way, using AI, you don't have to, I guess, touch it and just have it turn to dust in your hands mm-hmm. at that point. So interesting. So it. Uh, I think excitement in the industry because the way that he did it could uh, allow you to read more ancient scrolls in the future, understand more of what was happening in the ancient world at this point. There's a whole lot of unread scrolls waiting to be deciphered as well, and so they're going to try and and do more of this going forward. We talk about the scary things with with AI. There there are some good things that people are trying to do with it, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It, it, very, very interesting things that we can learn about the past, as as well as advancements to make for the future. So, yes, yeah, the, the seventy nine. They listed seventy nine CE. I believe that's the same thing as AD um, CE current era. But yeah, current uh, more, era. More you currently got CE known as BCE. AD. Yeah, uh, AD. So, I just wish AI could do something about natural stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, moving on. Number two. Well, Lincoln's coming in number two. Uh, behind Carmel, Indiana. Oh. CNBC uh, released a, a special. And as Lincoln, this is reported by 1011 News, Lincoln is number two in the nation for roundabouts. So this is like just not per capita or anything. It's just total roundabouts? Yeah. Number two, huh? 75. Seems like we're adding some quite often. And I... Wow, this is gonna this is gonna fire people up here on this thing. It's, it's drawing some it interesting is, comments on all politics man, and local. There is there there are strong opinions on, and they always have been since they started doing them here. Strong opinions on 
on roundabouts. But I will continue to continue to say what I've said time after time. Red lights make me red lights and stop signs and four-way stop signs all give me a whole lot more heartburn than roundabouts ever do. I don't love them. I don't love them. But, man, how many times has a traffic light just driven you nuts because it's always a red light or you don't get a green arrow, right? Or you don't get... Or or you've got people lined up. And so... A red red light when there's no traffic is as bad as somebody coming up to a roundabout that's totally empty and stopping. Yeah. Yep. I'm still... I'm I'm one of the roundabout defenders in this town. I will admit it because I'm comparing it to the alternatives. Mm-hmm. Just wish they were all straight in and then around. They're not. Meaning they, that they're designed differently? They're designed differently. they got the curve that turns to the yeah. left and then to the right. And some are straighter and some are more curved. Yeah. yeah. But they did some uniformity. That too. I'll tell you, the, the people that I really feel sorry for, and and I when I back when I was driving motor coach, those things can be really tough with large vehicles. Yeah, I can imagine that. I wouldn't like that. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's fascinating. Roundabout Carmel, Indiana, by the way, has a roundabout every at every seventeen intersections. Um, and so that was I, I've got a list from twenty twenty uh, that only that had all the the roundabouts in the in the actual world. Here is an article from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and. Um, yeah, Carmel, Indiana, apparently. I need to check that out, see what that's like. Go visit Carmel, Indiana and see how they're doing there with that whole thing. 100,000 people for the population. Is that it? Interesting. It's an Indianapolis suburb on the north side. Mm-hmm. Is it? Okay. All right. Well, you're, uh, we got to catch up with... Uh, we got to catch we up got with some ground the, to make up we here. got some ground to make up there to be uh, number one. You know, it's just like... Sounds a- like quite a bit. It's just like a NASCAR track, except they turn right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on. Number one. Well, we don't have to wait till game day to find out who's quarterbacking uh, the Huskers this week. Yeah, Matt Rule announced that Heinrich Harburg going to be getting that start after uh, getting three wins in his four starts so far after Jeff Sims left the second game of the season with an injury. And But it sounds like Jeff Sims is healthy. So going to be available, but Matt Rule wasted no time just saying they're going to continue to roll with Harburg. It just is hard when you've got, regardless of how the performances have looked, the details of them, when you've won three out of four and you're coming off the win against Illinois, it's just hard. It is hard to change the momentum, Mm -hmm. right? To make a change, I should say, when there is momentum going in that direction at this point. And... I think, you know, it, it seemed, Caleb, like the last couple of weeks, they were articulating a desire. It sounded like there was a desire to get Sims in there more, but, you know, they they win the game against Indi- uh, in, in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, there weren't a lot of turnovers, right? You had, you had one turnover in each of those games from Harburg. Mm-hmm. Um it wasn't overly over the top. It's just, it, it, it's hard. And if you are going to get Sims in, in some ways, and you know Sims might Sims might want to jump in, but in some ways, you feel better about putting him in a position where he's coming in in relief 
rather than starting completely new with yes. everything. There, there's not the pressure to where he feels like he has to push. If you could go get a... I know this would feel amazing the way the offense has scored points this year, but if you could go into half up 28 nothing, and you come out and Harbor gets a drive and they go down and score... Whether it's thirty-one nothing, thirty-five, I, I know, I know, nice. I know, I know. I like this world. I'm just saying, you put yourself in a position where you can go, "Hey, Harburg, you've taken a lot of hits. Yeah, you had a bye week. Take a break. Jeff Sims, go get some snaps through the second half. Ideally, that's what they wanted to do. Get a lot of guys in against Illinois. Mm. They just never really pulled away, right. and then they never really." did a whole lot to to set themselves up for extended bench time against uh, LaTeX or Northern Illinois. Right. Or or if Harburg, you know, and hopefully this doesn't happen, but if Harburg gets in there and he starts having some more issues than he's been having in the turnover game, um, then I think maybe you look like, okay, this isn't working here at the moment. Let's, let's give Jeff a try here at this point. I think it probably sets... I'd be the, interested to see I that move made, though. I think this is the right though. way to go. I would be very interested to see that move made if Harburg comes out, has two turnovers in the first half, and they see, go, we're going to go with Jeff Sims now, and it'd be like, well... That's always been the bigger question to me, is not who's starting, but how long the leash is. Yeah, absolutely. So, we will we will see. All right, that is it for your morning drive. It's brought to you by Stonebridge Insurance and Wealth Management. You're listening to LNK Today with Jack and Friends on KLIN. When you're thinking Huskers... Think 1499.3 KLIN. Live from the Momo Pizzeria and Ristorante Studios at 44th and O. Morning radio for the entire capital city. This is LNK Today with Jack and Friends on the voice of Lincoln. 1499.3 KLIN. But first, Fantasy Huskers keyword for a chance at a $100 prize pack from Valentino's at Alumni Hall. All right, if you want to pick, text this word in. Homegrown. Homegrown, H-O-M-E-G-R-O-W-N. Text it in to 402-479-1400. We will pick one of you who texts it in for the next pick. And if you get that pick, we're asking total points scored between Nebraska and Northwestern. Picks that are off the board so far. 41-49, and Holmes Lake Doug this morning took 33. 33. All right, that'd be low. That'd be low. All right, text it in right now. Homegrown to 402-479-1400. Bill Steffen, lead center, joining us right now in studio. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. How are you doing? It's been a while. I know. It's it's been a good time. We've been having an amazing opening to our season. You guys, we were just talking earlier again about, about Hamilton, but it just sort of... That sort of changed your calendar, changed the way a season kind of begins for for you guys to have something that big right kind of at the time where you're usually getting ready for a new season. It it, it is. It was interesting because it kind of blended our two seasons together because, you know, we announced Hamilton a long time ago and it was, you know, initially part of our Broadway subscription for last season. Mm Mm-hmm. And and then there's also part of our create your own season this year. Right. So, but it was such a phenomenal you know show. Record number of people attending thirty three over thirty three thousand people. That's crazy. Saw Hamilton, which is wow. the highest number of people to any performing arts event um, in the history of Lincoln, the University of Nebraska, That's and awesome. the Lead Center. And so we were just so thrilled, and really shows that Lincoln. 
um, loves Broadway and they can support the biggest Broadway there is in the world. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Like, what are the impacts of of doing something that big and having it be successful going forward? I mean, it's real. I mean, you know, Broadway producers do. You know, are while we love the arts and we our ticket sales are you know our our shows are underwritten by fifty percent to bring a wide variety of programs and. Sh- including many things that aren't, don't make money. Mm-hmm. Broadway is all about money, Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yep. And so they come to markets that make money and okay. sell a lot of tickets. And if you don't sell a lot of tickets, you don't get the big shows. Yeah. And so when, when, when people support shows in Lincoln at the lead center, um, we're going to get more shows like that. So mm-hmm. it really, you know, it, it's a business. Broadway is a business. Yeah. I'm um, just like on Broadway, you know, if a show's not selling, boom, it's out, it right. closes. And so it's, it's pretty cutthroat really in the Broadway world. And so, um, you know, Hamilton is a big statement to the world that Lincoln loves Broadway and the biggest Broadway shows can be successful in Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm, I'm going to move into the fall. So I hate to dwell on this, but I am in, I'm in, interested though. Is there, is, is Hamilton kind of unprecedented just in terms of its size and popularity and those sorts of things when it comes to an off Broadway show? Well, I mean, Hamilton is unique for this era. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's other Broadway shows that, you know, have, you know, I mean, Ham, you know, Phantom of the Opera, right. Jersey Boys, right. Cats, you know, Les Miserables. Les Miserables Each of them had, had their own era of when they Got were the, the very hottest show in the world at that moment. There was nothing bigger right. than, than Les Miserables in the early 90s and yeah. the late 80s. I mean, it was a huge phenomenon. Yeah. Um, and it was it'll be interesting to see does Hamilton in 10, 20, 30 years right. is it still the same level say I mean the Phantom had a huge run mm-hmm. you know um longest running Broadway show of all time yeah. and so I mean it, it is very very special it's the most popular show right now you know in America and we're so thrilled to have it during its peak of right. popularity um you know long time wise you know 10, 20 years from now I don't know I I think it will still be very popular just because it's such an amazing show, it's the the lyrics are genius. Mm-hmm. The music, it's the American story. It's uh, you know, I read the book Hamilton, and most of, it, I mean, it's very um, accurate um, historically. Yeah. Which you know, a lot of musicals, you don't go to a musical for history, mm-hmm. accurate history. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's fun. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's it's an entertaining show. But Hamilton, they really did a great job of capturing the history, and I was so impressed. You know, once I learned more about the history, that it was so accurate. Let's talk about what's coming up then. Uh, you guys just came off. Uh, you've come off several big shows. In fact, my daughter and my wife just at uh, at the uh, Dare Cuff show just yeah, the other so was, day. That was so, so they were very fan. excited about that. Yeah, so. we've, we've had so many amazing shows. The world's greatest ukulele player, yep. Jake Shimabukuru, last week, as well as Derek Huff's Symphony of Dance were incredible. Aladdin was um, we had more young people and families than... Uh, I think then maybe ever for a mm-hmm. show um, had a huge turnout for Aladdin. It was a fantastic, our first big Disney show in a long time. But this Sunday yes. at four o'clock, um, we have Wynton Marcellus in the jazz at Lincoln Center. And, you know, Wynton is the king of jazz. You know, the, you know, I would argue he's probably the most celebrated jazz musician in the world. Um, and he's just phenomenal. And the, the band, each of them are on their own superstar jazz players. And they'll be performing some Duke Ellington, um, as well as some new works by um, 
Wynton Marcellus. So okay. it's going to be some new stuff that you know no one's maybe ever heard before, along with some classics. And Wynton does a great job sharing the history of a, of a piece, so you really understand what inspired it. And it, he, he's one of the best narrators I've ever seen. So that's coming up this Sunday. Can still get tickets yep, if still you get want tickets. them. Yep, yep. Okay. This, you know, and it's a while we do have Wynton from time to time. It, it's a it's a unique performance, so you want to take advantage of it. And if you've never seen Wynton Marcellus. You know, he's absolutely one of my favorite artists in the world, regardless of genres. He's yeah. a superstar. So good. I'm so excited to have him back, um, along with Yo-Yo Mice, one of my very favorite artists that we have. And we got Tom Papa. Yes. C- comedy. You know, he's got several Netflix specials out. Um, a lot of, I, I got to know him listening on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Super funny. Mm-hmm. Super funny. And that's on uh, Thursday, October 26th. So just coming yeah. up right around the corner. And then one day later... We've got Super Diamond. <laughs> We've I've heard the spots for Super Diamond. I know. Right. Sweet <laughs> Caroline. Da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah, I mean it is super fun. Um, we, we they actually came. Um, they were scheduled at the Lead Center in March of 2020, and yeah. you know we had them rescheduled, That's and they, right. and they performed. Okay. And I think we were the first place they performed. You know after you know after the pandemic closures mm-hmm. and so we had social distance seating at that time it was a great show it was one of our best-selling shows during the pandemic and we're so excited that now they're back and everybody can see it no social distancing and it's going to be a fantastic show all your favorite neil diamond hits well and i hear on all the spots it says with a nod from the from neil himself absolutely on this. so neil absolutely. diamond's down with this thing yes yeah. yeah and thinks the thinks they're great all right you know and i think they're great um i they're, they're so fun very cool. And so then, fun. speaking of unique events, then we go just before Halloween uh, to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse live in concert. Tell us what this experience will be like. Yeah, this is an Academy Award winning film. Mm-hmm. And we're p- playing the whole film with a high definition projector with a giant screen at the Elite Center. So it's a f- the full length um, Academy Award winning film. And then we've got a live orchestra with it. Mm. So the whole pe- the whole movie is played with live orchestra. And this is something that a lot of communities across the nation have been doing for a number of years. Yeah. Um, but we're so excited to, to do it for the first time. And people are buying tickets. And yeah. we're excited. And this is kind of a test run. You know, if people love this kind of format, we're going to do more of it. Yeah, and, what's that experience like exactly? Well, well I I've mean, attended. I attended a production out of outside of Lincoln of Star Wars okay. with with live orchestra, Ooh. and I loved it. Really, it was okay. a lot of fun. You know, like and, it feels really different. I mean, I guess you got a live orchestra there. I just can't. I just can't quite picture exactly what that experience would feel like. Yeah, well, I mean, you've got the movie that you like, mm-hmm. you know, so that's there. But then you have it's a concert, you yeah. Know, so you get to see the concert being created right there in front of you in terms of the music and it's fun to have that interaction and i mean the entertainment of the movie yeah um what it, whatever it is i a few years ago i almost went to chicago to see godfather the original godfather with the chicago symphony accompanying it mm-hmm. i was going oh my gosh can i that imagine cool. in chicago that'd be so amazing but spider-man into the spider-verse um it's it's selling out theaters across the nation it's a big deal you can wear your superhero um costume it's right before halloween yeah. i might dress up i might nice that's good i, might, I, I do have a superman uh, outfit. the music in that i know the music i mean some of the music from that got popular it's a variety of types of music it is there, there's think, a so. dj yeah. yeah i mean they're gonna be you know oh, cool yeah they're gonna be doing the turntable and all everything it's that it's, it's gonna cool. be fun it'll be very hip um yeah. all ages <clears throat> on october 29th at four o'clock it's an afternoon show. Right. And, and then just a few days later, we have Disney and Pixar's Coco with a live Latin orchestra, mariachi and Latin orchestra. Cool. So that's going to be a lot of fun on Wednesday. 
you know, that great animated show, and that starts at seven o'clock. Okay, you know, um, great family show, and so we're looking so forward. So you get two of those and kind of see how they go and see if this might be something you want to add more of next. Absolutely, year. for yeah. sure, for sure, yeah. And um, who knows? Maybe Moana might come. Maybe that'd be nice. Who knows? That'd be, that'd be kind of fun, wouldn't oh, it? Absolutely. Yeah. All right, and then uh, moving into November, what are your highlights? Yeah. Well, we've got Metro Jazz Quintet in the um, Lead Commons. That's an intimate jazz experience. There's limited tickets available for that. It's kind of a club type of experience. And then we have Not Too Far Distant, which is a new play about a Nebraskan who went to World War II and his journey and what the goods and the hard times of being a, a... a soldier for America during World mm. War II from Nebraska. They're based on the journals. Um, there's limited tickets available um, for the show. There, um, we added a, a, a public matinee, so there's some tickets okay. on the matinee. Right show. around Veterans Day. Yes, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and then we've got one of the most dramatic pianists uh, I've ever seen in my life, Bezad Abdurahimov. Um, December 5th. He's spectacular fireworks. He's going to be playing our new Steinway piano, which Emmanuel Axe, eight-time Grammy yes. winner, um, introduced. I heard. New, Lauren he picked, told us about he that. Picked our, he picked out our new piano at the Steinway factory. I, I was there. It was so fun. Cool. It's a beautiful instrument, and you can still hear it um, by Bezad Abdurahimov, who is is amazing. Cool. Then we've got Mannheim Steamroller, and we yes. added a second show at 3 o'clock. And we've got lots of tickets, actually, for the 3 o'clock show. Okay. So it's a great time to, with the family, celebrate. Oh, with. nice. With school. All, yep. School wrapping up then yep. and on, yep. on a Thursday. Okay. Yep. Good to know. So that's going to be a lot, a lot of fun. There are some limited tickets for the evening show as well. Okay. Um, but the afternoon, there's good availability. But they do sell fast. So if you want to yeah. get a ticket, um, Mannheim is very, very, very popular. And then my favorite musical of all time <laughs> um, is the first Broadway musical at the Lead Center. It's so many people's first musical ever saw yes. in their life. Um, Les Miserables, yeah. um, the the international hit um, with all those songs and the powerful story. Um, I was actually listening to the original Broadway cast. I didn't remember that Patti LaPone was part of the original Broadway cast of Les Miserables. Okay. There's so many versions. If you go to Spotify or something and mm-hmm. type in, there's just so many mm-hmm. versions, different versions of the different songs. And like I'm used to hearing certain versions, and you'll hear different mm-hmm. voices in them, and it'll yeah. be like, that's not the one I'm used to. So. It's, yeah, I I, uh, I remember I, I had a cassette tape of um, one of the casts that I just love. I remember that Javert had this super deep voice, and yes. I always like listening to that version. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's so that's the ninth through the fourteenth. You've got evening performances Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, matinee Saturday evening, Saturday matinee Sunday evening, Sunday. Uh, what should people know if they're s- still don't have tickets to this and they want to get tickets to? Well, um, I would get them early. Yeah. The, the, right now, you can get the best seats and the best prices. Don't wait until all the good seats are are limited. And the prices go higher. So by now, now is a perfect time. They make great Christmas gifts too. Yeah. Like, you know, what better to give somebody than to get to go see Les Miserables? Yeah. And absolutely. it's just phenomenal. But, um, you know, I, I, I will say Tuesday, Wednesday, um, and Sunday night are probably, you know, the best availability. Yeah. Um, we have subscriptions, you know, on the, uh, some of the other performances. And so a lot of those t- seats, the prime seats you been know, have been up. sold. Yeah. But on the Tuesday, Wednesday, and Sunday night, just a little insider secret, yeah. um, if you go to those nights, um, you have best availability. But there's good seats on every every show night, um, and um, it's a, a great time to see it. We've got lots more Broadway. We've got Shrek coming, Jesus Christ Superstar, Mean Girls, To Kill a Mockingbird. We have Joshua Bell, you know, the you know the world's greatest violinist. Mm-hmm. So much more coming this spring. So. This and spring. you can actually still become a season ticket holder, create your own with four different shows, and okay. get a discount and be part of the season ticket family, which, you know, it's never too late and it's a you, you get, you know, special 
notices about sales and all kinds sure. of fun stuff. So. Plenty of shows to pick from Absolutely. if you still wanted to put four together and, and Absolutely. do that. Absolutely, yep. Well, great. Hey, Bill, it sounds like things are going great over there at the Lead Center. Looking forward to getting some more people your way. And don't forget, get those Les Mis tickets ASAP. Absolutely. Because they're going to start going really quickly as it do gets you closer hear the to the people performance. Saying? Yes. Yes. All right. Mm-hmm. Good to talk to you, Bill. I appreciate it. Thank have you. a great uh have a great fall season. We'll check in with you again soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Bill Stefan from the Lead Center. All right, eight twenty four. 39 degrees in the capital city. You are listening to LNK Today with Jack and Friends on KLIN. You're listening to LNK Today with Jack and Friends on 1499.3 KLIN. All right, 838. Well, you know, I don't know quite how to put it in the pantheon of big matches, big volleyball matches, either at the Devaney Center or in Lincoln of all time, maybe our next guest can help us a little bit with that. But you do have, first of all, I, boy, you know, it's a good thing. Good thing I'm not the coach and not overlooking a game because there is also a match. I keep forgetting, Caleb, there's a match also prior to one versus two. At uh, Northwestern tomorrow. At Northwestern tomorrow. And we can, we can talk about both of those. But our guest is going to get into a big week of volleyball. He is the uh, the host of the Volleyball State podcast. You can hear at Podcast House Media. And they've been doing a great job. Uh, both my guests, Jeff Sheldon and Lincoln Arneal, who you heard from last week, breaking down this volleyball season and one that's continuing and continuing to get more people following along closely. Uh, these guys do a great job of it. If you haven't listened to the podcast yet, to get an extensive breakdown on the season, the Huskers, what's happening on the sport, check it out. Good morning, Jeff. How are you doing today? Hey, good morning. It's it's not every day I get a my lead in as a live read from the Good Feet store. So yes. I'm excited to be here. I was excited to hear that, and I'm excited <laughs> to talk some volleyball. Yeah, I know it's uh, it's very it's it's very exciting. Now, uh, uh, just I'm curious for I, I know there's a lot of people who are listening who have heard your podcast. We've seen the numbers. It's they're they're very good. Um, but for people who haven't, first of all, just give me a, give me a little bit of background on the podcast, how it's going for you, and if people want to tune in, what they can expect. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a, it's a fun thing that Lincoln and I have been doing for, I don't know, six or seven weeks now. One of those sort of like can't sleep in the middle of the night ideas that uh, I, I reached out to Lincoln on and, and he had sort of been thinking about doing a podcast for a while. And we've both covered the sport for a long time. Lincoln and I actually covered a first team together back in 2002. So I've known him for a long time. He's a great guy to talk about volleyball with. And we realized there wasn't really a space out there where a lot of people were spending an hour or so talking about college volleyball. So we hit on uh, Nebraska first, and then we, we look around the country, we look around the Big Ten, we try to have a special guest. And our goal is to really just kind of further the conversation about this great sport and, and the best athletic program that Nebraska's had over the last 10 or 15 years and, and try to, to educate fans and, and make them a little bit more knowledgeable about the sport too. And we hopefully do that for you every Monday when our shows uh, drop. I definitely, okay, so Jeff, I definitely listen and then I will drop little bits of knowledge because I have a uh, I have a daughter and wife who are both, I mean, I'm a very big fan, but they are super fans too. And my wife knows volleyball better than I do having played it. So I'm dropping little things in that I hear about hitting percentage mm-hmm. and rotations. And it has made me a smarter volleyball fan, uh, especially when I'm talking to people in my family. So I appreciate that. Thank you yeah, for that. You're welcome. I mean, it, it took us about, you know, four years of even covering the sport, I feel like, before we felt like we could talk about it in, in somewhat of an educated way. So yeah. for a lot of people who just grew up on football and basketball, there's a steep learning curve, but 
hey, we're here for whether you're a longtime fan or you're just coming to the sport. We hope you enjoy volleyball. Well, and in all seriousness, you know, understanding rotations and some of the stuff that you guys have talked about. I, I mean, I've enjoyed the sport for a long time, obviously, being a Nebraskan. Um, but I've even just listening to you guys, I've watched in a little different way. And having that additional knowledge, I think, makes it more fun to, to completely know what's going on and, and some of the depth that you guys give. So mm-hmm. I can't recommend uh, what Jeff Lincoln uh, Jeff and Lincoln do enough. These guys have a great, great foundation knowledge to bring on great guests. Got another one uh, that just came out this morning you can take a listen to. So that should be a good time. Uh, l- let's start with a broad question, Jeff. Um, unbeaten here at this point, obviously going into this big Wisconsin match, but if I had told you at the beginning of the season in August, I'd be like, well, they'll be, they're going to be going into the Wisconsin match unbeaten at this point with the roster that they've got. How surprised would you have been? I'd be very surprised, honestly, because they, they roll four freshmen out there pretty regularly. They have another uh, player, Merritt Beeson, who transferred in um, in the offseason. So it's it's a very new team from last year. In fact, the only ones that really have a, a lot of returning experience. You had Becca Alec, who, who played, who was in her first year of a starter last year at middle. Of course, you got Lexi Rodriguez, who's, for my money, the best libero in the country, who's going on her third year starting now. And then uh, that L2 position, the second outside hitter position, Lindsey Krause and Alec Batenhorst, both of those two have starting experience. But when you look at the number of freshmen they have, and Merritt Beeson coming in from Florida in the offseason, it's, it's a whole new crew almost. And, and they were going to get tested early on going out to Stanford and playing that match. And and they took care of that uh, a little bit easier than anyone, I think, was expecting. And to come in here undefeated against uh, the schedule they've played, even though the Big Ten is a little bit of a down year this year, it seems. Penn State is not kind of the vintage Penn State we've seen over the last decade. Neither is Minnesota, who's been struggling a little bit this year. But, hey, you can only win the matches that are on your schedule, and Nebraska's won every one of them so far. Has has this team kind of taken the, the John Cook template that you've seen from other teams over the last several years here in the program? I know every team is a little bit different, or is this team any noticeably stylistically different with, with so much changeover with so many young players coming in that had, didn't have experience in the program before? Well, Nebraska always likes to build its program uh, under John Cook under on serve, block, and defense. And, and you see that kind of no matter who is on the team, and, and they're certainly – built that way this year they, they lead the big 10 in opponent hitting percentage so they're holding teams under 100 or excuse me under 200 hitting points so they're always a very good defensive team uh the serving's been a little bit lacking this year just they've been pretty high error i think they've committed at least 12 serving errors in each of their last six matches so you you want to see them kind of get that under control but there's a method to that madness too because they're trying to serve aggressively get teams out of system it's basically like blitzing on every play uh, to make a football analogy. And then I think they are able to run a little bit of a faster offense this year with the freshman setter, Bergen Riley, who's been outstanding. But, you know, Nebraska usually is not a team that's going to wow you with uh, a lot of com- complexity on their offense and run overloads and super interesting patterns. I mean, they're going to they're gonna try to win with serve block and defense and, and let the offense come as it may. When you talk about Bergen Riley, you talk about the other freshmen, you know, Choboy, Harper, Murray, have these – has there been a quicker development of, of them than you expected? Anyone particular just to really kind of stand out being at a place you didn't necessarily mm-hmm. think they would be at in October, you know, two months into the first season? Yeah, and I think these freshmen had a little bit of an advantage over or maybe some of the, the previous freshman classes that came in because they all arrived in January. They all graduated high school early, and so, you know, it's not like they've been on campus for two or three months. Yeah. They've actually been on campus for eight months, and, and they had an international trip in there uh, as well to – to kind of get a little bit more experience, but but what Nebraska did is basically took the entire you know under 
18 junior national team from a couple years ago, and uh, and now they're wearing scarlet and cream. Um, the two positions that really stick out, uh, it's always a big ask to ask a true freshman setter to come in and, and run an offense, and Bergen Riley's done that exceptionally well. She might be having the best freshman season for a setter um, that Nebraska has seen so far, and, and that takes into account you know, uh, Nicklin Hames, her predecessor, started as a freshman and took them to the national championship match. Kelly Hunter had a little bit of uh, a, a different start to her career. You know, she, she played a little bit as a true freshman, and then they redshirted her the second year. So it was her third year at Lincoln, really, when she became the full-time starter for the first time. Um, but but Riley's been outstanding, uh, and she, you can see that she's still developing as a back row defender, um, as a setter. Um, she, you know, she still has a little bit of ways to develop, too, but that floor is so high from what she came in at. Uh, she's been really impressive. And then to ask uh, Harper Murray to come in, as a, and play a six rotation outside hitter, which means that you're you, you're not playing only in the front row. You have to play all the way around, which adds a lot of responsibility onto your plate. It's like playing both ways in football because you got to serve, you got to pass, you got to defend, and then you have to worry about offense when you're uh, in the front row. And they set her in the back row a little bit too. So they have put a lot on her shoulders, and, and she's handled it very, very well as a true freshman. Yeah, I was watching one of those early matches, even before the stadium game against Lindenwood or something, and like right away, <laughs> right away, Harper Murray just jumped off the screen. Like it was, I was like, man, she, uh, she you can see it with her. She's going to be good, and um, so far that has kind of borne itself out. You know, I think I think people were a little surprised to see some of the. Uh, tightness in what about two three weekends of Big Ten games? You know Purdue took him to the wire, dropped a set, dropped a set against Michigan State uh, twice now. Uh, mm-hmm. A little tight with Michigan at that point, and then they come and they sweep. You know what is probably clearly the the, the at least the top three a top three team, uh, Penn State in in the Big Ten or the third best team right now in the Big mm-hmm. Ten. The toughest test of all of them for sure, and they come out and they get the sweep on Saturday night. How much did that performance assuage whatever concerns that were going on about the previous what two and a half weekends of volleyball? Yeah, we talked on uh, Volleyball State, the, the episode that dropped today, that I feel like if you're going to get bad Nebraska in a set, you're going to know right away uh, early on in the set. They're, they're going to fall behind way early. And they did that against Michigan and Michigan State in those road matches. And, you know, when you take a team on the road and, and you're asking them to play on back-to-back nights um, away from home, especially a team as young as this one, you know, I think you can expect uh, a little bit of a roller coaster. I think you know, this Nebraska class has handled it better than better than most of them would and against Penn State you know, they got to play at home in front of 8000 people at the Devaney Center and it was Penn State honestly that looked a little tight Nebraska took control of game 1 early they had a rocky moment in game 2 where you thought that it was going to get away from them because Penn State jumped out I think to to a 7-1 8-1 lead and you thought oh man here we go again and Nebraska actually showed great resilience and fought back and ended up winning game 2 and and took care of business in game three to get the sweep. So I think they're going into this week on a real high note. And some of those teams you mentioned earlier, Purdue, Michigan State, you know, th- those aren't bad teams. Those are going to be middle-of-the-pack teams in the Big Ten. Um, at least one of them is probably going to make the NCAA tournament. We'll see if Michigan State piles up enough wins to get there as well. But I, I know that Purdue team is going to. And so of the two teams we're talking about today, Nebraska and Wisconsin, Nebraska has for sure faced the tougher conference schedule in the first half of the conference. Talking with Jeff Sheldon, uh, Volleyball State podcast right here on Podcast House Media. Check that out. Okay, so I'm sorry. I'm going to... All right, they play Northwestern on 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 Wednesday. How big of a how how difficult of a situation is this with such a big match coming back home on, on Saturday with a midweek game like this? Well, 
I, you know, honestly, I think they would probably prefer this setup than having to play um, two matches at home where they play Northwestern on Friday and Wisconsin on Saturday, because then you, you have your, your test back to back and it's easier to overlook a team. I think in that situation, yeah. at least this week, you get to prepare for Northwestern um, on Monday and Tuesday and then you play on Wednesday. It's like the old Big 12 days where they always played Wednesday, Saturday. Yeah. And, and I think John Cook likes that from a preparation perspective. But that was con- or Northwestern match on Wednesday is, is no gimme. Northwestern has a great player named Julius Sangiacomo, who is kind of their entire offense and has regularly been putting up 20 kills. And Nebraska never seems to play that great up in Evanston. Uh, a couple years ago, they, they played at a high school gym because Welsh Ryan Arena was getting renovated. Um, but so, you know, they're going to try to not stub their toe there on uh, Wednesday. And Wisconsin has a match themselves on Wednesday. They host Ohio State. So if both teams get in, get through those Wednesday matches undefeated. It's going to be, I believe, the sixth number one versus number two match that Nebraska's played in all time, either sixth or seventh. And it's going to be the second one that's that's been hosted at the Devaney Center. Yeah, Caleb, you did some uh, you did some research on that, didn't yep, you, for yep. a piece Six, that you wrote? Sixth ever, yeah, we stole that. Yeah, <laughs> sixth ever, and this will be just the second time Nebraska's had it at the Devaney Center. Second time where they've had it in a conference match. Third time in Lincoln. Only one of them was ever at the Coliseum. Oh, really? Interesting. And that was what? Were these Penn State, Stanford? Uh, three, Stanford, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, right? three of them were against Stanford, one against Texas, one against Minnesota. So, oh, okay. so they never met Penn State as one versus two, despite the 33 times in a row that they met as top 15 opponents. So, so mm-hmm. Jeff, I mean, when you get into this, you've got that, of course, the one versus two, but there's a lot of other context that goes along with this. It's Wisconsin's win streak against Nebraska. It's Wisconsin beating Nebraska for a national championship a couple of a couple of years back. You've got the b- beating the sellout or the uh, the the record and mm-hmm. Nebraska going over top of Wisconsin. I mean, I I don't know. I can't imagine that in all of the uh, one two matches prior to that, you've got a whole lot more hype or sort of side stories or even you know tickets that are uh, mm-hmm. you get three hundred bucks to get in the door basically from the third party sites at this point. This is pretty unprecedented. Well, it's probably the biggest one versus two matchup Nebraska's ever played in a regular season meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and you add on to that, Wisconsin's beaten Nebraska 10 times in a row. So this really hasn't been a competitive rivalry over the last six years. And Nebraska's last win over Wisconsin came in 2017. And, you know, that was back when I was still covering the program full time. And, you know, all of our lives have probably changed a little bit over the last six years. But the one thing that hasn't changed is, is Wisconsin has found a way to beat Nebraska. And most of those matches haven't been particularly close. Wisconsin's always kind of been uh, in this streak. They've, they've been the more talented team. They've had the better setter. They've outblocked Nebraska by 30 blocks over that stretch. And, and as we talked on the podcast today, they've kind of won in every possible way. They've won close matches. They've won five setters. They've won matches that were offensive shootouts and kind of grinded out defensive slugfests. Um, this is a year where I think maybe the talent on Nebraska and Wisconsin is probably close to equal. Um, Wisconsin doesn't have a clear talent advantage and they've got some injury problems coming into this match um, that, that might see them shuffle their starting lineup. So, you know, if Nebraska was ever going to end this streak, this is probably as good a chance as they're going to have. Yeah. I mean, it feels like there's a real, I don't know if you, you sometimes say, well, can there really be a rivalry there when one team's got one side of the whole thing, 10 to zero, but I don't know as as much as there can be. I think in in the Big Ten in this community, I think this is uh, this is a big one now. This is it for Nebraska, right? They they've it's going to be hard. They've been looking at this one yeah. for a long time. Well, I mean, these are clearly the two best teams in the Big Ten. Uh, they're two of the best 
three or four teams in the country. And I think, you know, you, you have something there with the, with the attendance records going back and forth. Yeah. You know, Nebraska loves to cling to, to some kind of excellence, and, and they really got possessive of that record and kind of <laughs> took it personal when Wisconsin went out and drew, what, 17, 18,000 fans at the Kohl Center last year, and yeah. it drove Nebraska so insane that they came up with the idea to play a match in the football stadium. And so they're like, ha-ha, take that. It's yeah. like dropping a, a nuclear bomb on an anthill. And so they, I think one thing that the coaches have in common, both John Cook and Kelly Sheffield for Wisconsin are, are real advocates for the sport yeah. and love to continue to push the sport higher. And we've seen attendance numbers and television numbers on this sport this season that we have never seen before. That's and so, so cool. these two programs are instrumental in, in kind of pushing the sport to a higher level publicly. Yeah. It'd be great if we get, you know, I know there's another regular season match and then maybe hopefully again in the postseason uh, to continue to push it. Madison too. Yeah. Yeah, two two regular season matches this year, and and then that probably leads me to my my last question here. What are the what are the stakes here? Obviously, winning, ending the winning streak that Wisconsin has. Obviously, being the number one team in the country, the number one team in the Big Ten. Obvious things there. But in terms of kind of postseason, right? The goal is always to be to get one of those top four seeds and be mm-hmm. home court throughout. Where's kind of the line for the Big Ten on this? You think a couple of Big Ten teams are going to get that, or will it probably only be one? I think absolutely both of them could. And, and I was actually just thinking about this on my, my drive to work this morning, that if Nebraska wins this match, barring a complete collapse the rest of the season, I think this win, if Nebraska wins on Saturday, pretty much assures them of getting a top-four seed, which wow. means you know, home court advantage at the Devaney Center all the way to the Final Four. I mean, they would have to lose like maybe five matches after this one. Even if they lose in Madison to, to end the regular season, I wow. think if you have a win on the road against Stanford and you have a win over Wisconsin, that pretty much is, is the best resume in the country at this point of the season. And so, and then obviously there's the stakes in the Big Ten. You know, Nebraska has long acknowledged that winning the Big Ten title is actually harder than winning the NCAA title because in the postseason, you've got to get hot for three weeks. And to win the Big Ten title, you have to be good for 10 weeks. And the level of competition you face match in, match out is is actually bigger than what you have to play over six matches uh, in the postseason. And so the winner of this match gets a leg up in the race for the Big Ten title. And right now it looks like it's going to be either one of these teams. Nebraska and Wisconsin is the, the clear best top two in the conference. All right. Should be fun. Very exciting. And if you uh, liked that from Jeff, a whole lot more of it on the new podcast. Just came out a couple hours ago. Uh, it is the Volleyball State Podcast. You can find it at podcasthousemedia.com or you can find it wherever you get podcasts. Uh, they also had Wisconsin State Journal writer Dennis Punzel joined them, too. I heard a little bit of that conversation as I was uh, putting it in today, and that's a, a great conversation, too, about this upcoming match. Hey, Jeff, thanks for your time. Great job on the podcast, and we'll talk to you again, all right? All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. There you go. Jeff Sheldon from the Volleyball State Podcast on Podcast House Media. All right. We will grab a break. Safe for the six years to LNK Today with Jack and Friends. KLIN. You're listening to LNK Today with Jack and Friends on 1499.3 KLIN. All right. Fun show today. Love talking to Jeff. He was my co-worker here years ago. Used to uh, used to pop in on the show every once in a while, but that is a... Uh, that's a great podcast. Check that out. Uh, that's it for the show today. We will be back here tomorrow, as always. Officer Chad is going to pop in. What Chaps Your Hide Wednesday. That's right. We're already halfway through the week of What Chaps Your Hide Wednesday. Lincoln Symphony Orchestra is in. So Ed Polichick. You never want to miss those because you never know what Ed's going to say. <laughs> and we'll have John Bishop joining us as well. So, packed full 
of uh, of stuff for entertainment, entertainment and information tomorrow morning. We will see you then. It's 9 o'clock. KLI and Lincoln.